for this? I think so. Okay. Oof. Hello, and welcome to the 226. I'm John. I'm John. Today we're going to be talking about artistic integrity. We had planned on talking about, I believe, what was it, experiences? Yes. But looking back at the previous five episodes, we found that this was a topic that came up a number of times, and we Quite kind of wanted to address it uh, in a little more detail. I feel like we might have skirted along the sides of it without actually addressing mm -hmm. really what's there or really exploring it. So that's what this episode is all about. We're going to see what we really think about it and maybe have a more conversational style. Yeah. So I'm... Uh, I'm actually curious, like, what, do you, what is your idea about artistic integrity? What is it? Uh, what does it mean? If you're an artist and you have integrity, what is that? Um, when I hear artistic integrity, I immediately think staying true to yourself. It's a, it's a weird concept, but um, creating things that you like. Making things because you like it and because you want to. And essentially doing things for yourself. And then as an artist, a public artist, then people just happen to also enjoy that. Or you convince them otherwise just by keeping on doing it. Hmm. Um, so I think what becomes hard then is when people do like, people start to enjoy your stuff and then you want to cater to that. But then you lose a bit of integrity if you're just making things for other people, I think. Yeah. So you become less of a creator and more of just a, not a copier, but uh, you just play for the people instead of yeah. yourself. And I think it's important to, like every artist starts just in a room by themselves probably, and to stay true to what happened there as to when you get millions of followers changing that. Yeah. I think I'd agree because part of me, part of me feels like if you're, if you're doing something not true to yourself, if you're doing something catering towards what you think people will like versus mm -hmm. doing something that it, you're inspired to do, then you maybe lose a bit of your artistry. It's less of art and more of a, I mean, not to say it doesn't take skill to do it, but it, it does seem like it would be a little less creative to do that. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that those two things can't overlap and that's where it gets very yeah. confusing. Because, gray, yeah. because you can have someone do something completely off the wall and it's very creative, very new, very original and it's true to who they are and people love it mm -hmm. every time. And I I just don't know where we can actually draw that line. I know we've we've mentioned a few artists on this subject. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them being Terry Redwin, mm -hmm. uh, the painter, and the other one being Skrillex. And two very different artists, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Terry Redwin, uh, no longer living, but painting in a very distinct style, but for most of his life, yeah. stayed within that, that one genre. And that's just yeah. what he was good at. That's what he did. Maybe he had a lot of integrity because he never changed. Exactly. So have, having the people like 
what you do is more of a coincidence rather than something that indicates artistic integrity. Yeah. It's just such an odd balance of what do you do for yourself versus what people see and enjoy. Yeah. Because why do it like why do you shoot photos? I like putting smiles on people's faces. Mm-hmm. Also, like capturing moments, and it's just cool. <laughs> yeah. Like if I go to, to take star pictures or something, I'm doing that because it's a challenge for myself. It's fun. It's a fun time with friends. It's and a way to grow. Yeah. Plus, I just want to. I strive to be like all the people I follow on Instagram. Like you got Michael Shane Bloom or Nicholas Bauer. These really awesome astrophotographers. I'm like, I don't know how to make your image yet. I have to learn how to do that, and so I go out and do it. So you use doing something as a way of maybe not imitation for imitation's sake, but definitely trying to emulate the same things that they do. Yeah. But then, hmm, see. But then it go. You yeah. take something like wedding photography, and that you do that for bunny. Yeah, like that's a that's a full. That's not job. a that's not it's not a secret <laughs> to, to many people, but um, it's uh, not quite a full time job. But it's definitely something that you use as a source of income. Yeah. So, how do you maintain your integrity while having that kind of photography be part of your life? That's really hard. Uh, this is honestly something I struggle with because. I want to keep doing things my way, but then people expect a certain thing for weddings, you know? Mm-hmm. So I find this weird thing where you want people to hire you for you, mm-hmm. not because they saw something on Pinterest and you might be able to do the exact same thing. Um, so you want people to fall in love with your style, not your price point. And that's really hard. That's part of the reason I raised my prices mm-hmm. It's because I put a lot of work into it, and it's just, I want people to enjoy what I do, you know? Yeah. And it's a very tricky line once money becomes involved. Yeah, Because then it brings a whole new set of feelings, emotions, and Mm -hmm. expectations to the table. Yeah, lots of expectations. And you have to manage those. Which is tricky as an artist. I mean, you have like you you do wedding photos for like well, I guess most of the most of the weekends during the summer, but mm-hmm. that's still basically your your full time job during yeah. that time of the year, and you're doing something artistic, mm-hmm. and that's your that that's your way of getting money. Like that's a that's a very, it's easy to be called out on that. Yeah. And then, more difficult to defend yourself per se because you know have there been times where you took a photo because that's what was expected of you or have you always been able to say oh this is the kind of photo that I'd want to take honestly it depends on the wedding I've had couples who are like hey you just do your thing Mm -hmm. and that's the greatest thing like it's so much fun creative freedom and just Mm -hmm. being able to be where I need to be or want to be and have you found that those couples were very satisfied with the photos that you yeah. were able to give them. Yeah, because they just let me do my thing up. And then you have other couples who just like have sent me pictures on Pinterest and like want that exact same thing. And um, 
So it's nice to understand what people want from that perspective, but it's hard to balance it. See, the thing is, like, wedding photos, it's a service. Mm-hmm. It, whereas, like, anything I do just to make pictures for myself is not a service. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the tricky part with photography as well that makes it different than a lot of other artists who do their work for money Mm -hmm. is that you're doing your work literally for one or two people yeah and since they are the ones who are are funding your your photography for that session Mm -hmm. they they have a a little say over what you're able to do whereas someone a musician they aren't making the song for one or two people unless they're unless it's like a movie score or something like that it's Mm -hmm. It's very much on them to stay true to themselves, and then the people that that follow that artist or like that artist yeah. or purchase their songs do so on their own accord. It's not as if they're paying the artist to make something. It's the artist has made something and now they're paying for it. Yeah. So maybe there is a a difference between those two that yeah. is to take into consideration. The order really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Whether money comes first or the art comes first. And I remember we were talking about uh, temp music the other day. So yeah. we have musicians who were, uh, and I'll kind of preview temp music from the, the episode mm-hmm. before. There is a certain way in which movie scores are composed. And it usually has to do with the editor and the director starting to put the cut together, starting to arrange all those shots, and they put in songs from other movies that they think matches the feel of what they are going for in that particular Mm -hmm. scene. This music is then shown to the conductor after the final cut has been made, and they're told, in some extreme cases, to make songs that sound exactly like this. Yeah. or get that exact same feel uh-huh. and there was we watched what, a 10 minute video where it just showed the scene with the temp music and then the scene with the actual movie score that went along with it and the two are for all intents and purposes identical Yeah, which is very easy to argue that that, that kind of yeah. breaches artistic integrity for that composer is they're not really staying true to or Staying true to themselves maybe is a bit of a fine line, but they're not making something creative. They're basically just copying the song and adding different instrumentation. And it wasn't even their choice. Yeah, and like, that's uh, another thing too. Is like, where in this line does like the money come in? Yeah. Or did, like, who are you making this music for? Is it yeah. for a broad spectrum of people, mm-hmm. or is it for the director? And who has a say over what that music sounds like? Mm-hmm. What I find interesting the the composer of the temp music so the music that was used for a different mm-hmm. movie and now it's being used just to get a feel it's it's both a compliment that they're using their temp music but also a stab in the back when the composer rewrites their song exactly so it's just this like ah, stop it <laughs> yeah and through this like we get all this music that sounds near identical yeah which is just frustrating like most movie scores sound like rip off Hans Zimmer right now because mm-hmm. that's what people Which, expect and no yeah. one is willing to do what 
Zimmer did in the first place and yeah. kind of push that boundary a little bit. Which is just really frustrating. No one wants to take that risk. No. And we need to if we're ever going to progress forward, mm-hmm. find something different. And you just got to take risks to be different and I wonder, the game. I wonder how many people would know a song from a movie score that wasn't Hans Zimmer or John Williams. I think like Pirates of the Caribbean and that would be it. Perhaps. I'm trying to think of others. Yeah, it's hard to think off the top of your head without kind of encountering it first, but there's just so many movies out there and so few movie scores that actually jump out to you is really special. Yeah, I think the ones that do jump out are the ones that use themes very well. And that's something that is why Zimmer became so popular, I think, is because he was able to use those themes super effectively. Yeah. Like Gladiator, Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight, just... And then you have Williams, who uses the concept of light motifs from Wagner's ring. Mm-hmm. You that's can even say that's a, different, that's a different kind of artist integrity. Like, how much do you have to pull from other people in order to create? See, that's, I, that's what I find to be. I do that. Like, mm-hmm. um, I have a book right now. I haven't read it yet, but it's called Steal Like an Artist. I think I actually stole it from you. You did. <laughs> uh, Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon, I think is how you say his name. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how taking many ideas from many people, putting them together and getting a new idea and how that isn't losing integrity, how that's yeah. seeing what people have done well mm-hmm. and then growing from that and making it your own. I agree. Cause I steal ideas from other people's music and insert them into my song as, yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's just how well can you cover up that you actually stole this from someone else. Mm-hmm. Really, sometimes, and I guess this is kind of a revealing moment, but I don't feel like I've created some of my songs. I feel like it's just a, I was listening to this and this and this and this, and I just pulled a little bit and I just poured it into a pot and I stirred it up and I mastered it, and then that was it. That was the end of the track. Like, I don't feel like I really did too much creation. I mean, does it take a little bit of knowledge of your your digital audio workstation, your DAW to figure out what you were doing and put it all together? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to know how to turn on the oven if you're gonna make a, 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 cake. a, a soup, yeah. but can you pull ingredients from all these other different foods and put them in and then say, oh, look at this that I made. It's mm-hmm. like, did you really make that or did you just pour them in a pot? And I, I don't know if that's a line that I can draw because I think every artist to some extent steals from people who came before them or people who are currently making art. Yeah. It's just to what extent and how are they able to make that into a new idea? What qualifies as a new idea? Yeah. I, hmm. This is where we differ a lot, I think, because I purposely go out looking for like different types of pictures and videos mm-hmm. for things I can do, for things I can learn from. Mm-hmm. And then I'll emulate that. And the thing is, I'm the only person who knows exactly where I took things from. Unless you're looking at all the exact same people that I do. So, like, when you take from a bunch of different songs, you're the only person who knows that. Yeah. And can probably hear it. Yeah, I definitely can point to different 
areas of my songs and say, yep, I got this idea from the feeling I got from this song, or I got this idea from some random YouTube video. Mm -hmm. And it happened every once in a while, I'll come up with my own creative mistake where yeah. you accidentally route something in the wrong channel and you use the wrong sound to play the notes for a different instrument and it actually sounds good and then you just kind of go with it and it sold five million records <laughs> yeah and if you're the cataracts that is <laughs> i don't know if five million people have ever like come across my my stuff you're almost Probably. at a hundred thousand i did hit a hundred thousand for a mashup of a taylor swift <laughs> song with jemba jemba but uh yeah, and that was another thing. Like the the thing that I made that blew up was literally none of my art artistry. It was just me taking two things that were completely different and putting them together. See, but there's there's art artistry there because no one else had had thought of that, and you did it. So mm -hmm. it's just it doesn't. Feel yeah, as if feel you're like as it. artistic enough in that situation. It's okay, like if that. you took, I mean, it's hard to draw comparisons between music I mean, and photography. See, like I've taken almost identical pictures that I've seen on Instagram and that I've liked. Mm -hmm. um, most recently, a picture of like a yellow flower in the foreground with out of focus stars in the background. Mm -hmm. I saw that like two months ago, and then I went out and did it. The exact same picture. Mm -hmm. Mine was nowhere near as good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when I saw. But, uh, like, I learned a lot from doing it, too. So it's maybe when you take from other people, it's more of a learning experience than a creative experience. Yeah. I felt, part of me felt a little bad putting my name on that mashup. Really? Just because I had nothing to do with any of the music that was there. And other than the fact that I put those, like, anyone with half a quarter of the knowledge of what it means to make a song in an, on a computer mm -hmm. could have put those two songs together and made it sound just as good as I did mm -hmm. and put it up there it was just that I happened to be the one that did it and I happened to be the one that you know had blog posts written about it and <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we're both very similar like it's really easy to sell ourselves short for what you do as an artist when you do mashups or put ideas mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Whereas, like, you have to go through all that experience prior to that to learn how, mm -hmm. to learn what's going to work. But at the same time, like, yeah, I hate not being creative or not mm -hmm. making something. Yeah, I feel like it feels like a cop-out to me. Yeah. It's like, this was not me at my best. This mm -hmm. was me at my taking things from other people. <laughs> it's yeah. just not, I had really, my skill had nothing to do with the final product. Mm -hmm. And that's an extreme case because of just the nature of what it was. But even if I had added a few other elements to the song, I still would have felt weird. Remixes are maybe a little bit different because then you are given the parts. Yeah of the song and you can shape and you have creative freedom to move those around and do what you'd like with them. Yeah. So that doesn't feel as bad, but still at the end of the day, did you make the original song? Like, is this an original creation? Or are you taking something and just mixing it up a little bit? So Giving a new twist to it. Does artist's integrity only apply when you make 100% of the content? 
and that is like the purpose of this this episode is to kind of figure out that question I I want to say gut feeling no because I don't think any art will be 100% uninspired by other people okay but that does mean that you then have to define that line what, at what point does questioning artist integrity become apparent I don't think it's a percentage because I don't think you can label how much of what you did was inspired by other people but yeah. it's it's very tricky because it's going to depend on the medium it's going to depend on uh, what artists you're taking from yeah. how much you took from them how similar does it sound yeah. like in the cases of like this temp music where mm-hmm. you play the two and it sounds as if someone just took the same song and put a different instrumentation on it mm-hmm. that kind of makes me question granted they were doing that because they were told to mm-hmm. it's a, like a systemic problem in the film yeah is. music industry but I, I just I think it would I think that would be a case where an artist's integrity is perhaps on the line and See, not because of it's their own fault. So I would argue the other way, that maybe it only applies when you make 100% of the content. But I think that, so like when you're creating your creation and your ability to do that is the sum of all the experiences that you've had up to that point. Hmm. So just because you've seen something else and you're using that knowledge, I don't count that against that 100% percentage because it's now learned information. Mm -hmm. Because if we counted that against, like, nothing would be our own, if not only, like, a tiny little bit. Hmm. Like, even, like, huge companies like Apple stole from people. Oh, yeah. Like, when the first Macs are coming out, they're stealing from Xerox for the uh, user interface, the GUI. Mm-hmm. So it's... They, but they made it their own. Yeah. Yeah, they put the Apple twist on it. Yeah. Applied their marketing, and now people... $600 billion yeah, company. Yeah. And that blows my mind in and of itself, just that that's the, <laughs> the scale that something like that that started in a garage can grow to. But yeah. Why yeah. don't we stop here? Okay. Pick it up. We need more coffee. Okay. Going back to the, the question of basically how much of a content is your work where do you where do you draw the line of integrity? Is mm-hmm. it when it's a hundred percent? And you're saying that those experiences where you draw from other people and put that into your own thing count as as part of your your growing yeah. in that medium. Yeah. So then I guess it becomes a case of you know where can we draw that line? Is it when people start to notice the similarities between what you're doing and what someone else has done? Mm-hmm. in the case of temp music that's like 99% of what's there yeah. is obviously just copied over and you just change the instrumentation so it's it's very easy to make that comparison and start to question the person's 
integrity, the composer's integrity. Mm -hmm. Granted, still not their fault. It's just the way the things are in the in the movie industry. Yeah. But if that would happen for someone like uh, like an electronic musician, mm -hmm. it's happened a number of times where an artist I can't remember. I think caked up was yeah. was accused of stealing a song because you play the two and it sounds incredibly similar yeah so it's like they just put a little twist on something and then they didn't credit the other source as well maybe that okay, has to do something yeah. but i rarely credit my inspiration well yeah it's it's inspiration yeah. it's not uh, a source like it is in a paper i suppose so at what point does something you're inspired by become something that you steal? See, or at what point does, I guess the, the underlying theme, theme of all of this is that there's a right way and a wrong way to steal yes. inspiration from other people. The little bit that I have read from steal like an artist, mm -hmm. um, stealing from one person, that's the wrong way. Stealing from many people, putting all those ideas together, that's the right way to do it. Okay. Because then you're learning. If you just look at one person and you say, I like that, I'm stealing it, I'm gonna make that, mm -hmm. that's wrong. That was someone else's idea. Yeah. And you shouldn't take that from them. So that also changes our way of applying whether someone was having integrity during their creative process. Yeah. So like going back to the, the tent music example, that's one person. That's one person. That was their idea. Mm -hmm. And whether you blame the director or the editor or the composer for making a song that sounds just like it, mm -hmm. uh, that's perhaps the wrong way to steal something. Yeah. Maybe from a legal standpoint even. Yeah. But if they were able to take the feeling of this song from one movie and the instrumentation of this song from another movie and then put it in this movie in a completely different context and bring up some new emotion that's related with the pictures that are going in front of you, maybe that would be the right way to do something. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking of when I was in rehearsal in New York for his big choir concert with Whitaker. Um, we were rehearsing, I think it's Alleluia by Eric Whitaker. And he pointed to a chord and said, this is a Ravel chord, like exact same notes. And he said that he took it, he said, thank you, Ravel, and put it in his music. Um, because he liked the sound and he needed that chord there. And in music, like, there's six billion people on the earth. There's been even more. Mm -hmm. Like, you're gonna run into identical things at this mm -hmm. point. Even though there's unlimited permutations of in what way you put notes together. So... Just like when he said, I took this from someone, that intrigued me so much because, like, Eric Whitaker, if you don't know, is essentially the rock star of the choral world right mm -hmm. now. And he's stealing from other people because of the way it happens. And then he talked later about how he wants the sound, he just wants the choir to sound like how this other composer got to be. And discovered the only way to do that is just to put the tenors crazy high. So it's taking from those other people and like even he's learning mm -hmm. and stealing like an artist. So it's more not much, as much a line but more a zone of you know when do I start to be taking too much from one person and not drawing from a wealth of you know, 
the possible experiences that I could yeah. be drawing from. Yeah. The other example I have in music is, uh, so like I'll be improving on piano or whatever, just messing around with chord progressions and like I want to write it down, but it reminds me of so many songs because like just in subconscious, mm -hmm. that's what comes out. Um, and one of the greatest things I've ever learned from my dad was when he said, you can't steal a chord progression or you can't copyright a chord progression. <laughs> Very different thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said it wrong. So you can't copyright a chord progression. Like, that's, it's just not something you can do. You can copyright a song with a chord progression in it, but yeah. that is free reign for everyone to use. Mm -hmm. Music is music is music. Yeah, uh, you can't copyright a frame of a shot. Yeah. So even if you have the same chord progression, it sounds identical, like, so what? Mm -hmm. You're using it in your way. And you've used that with me a few times where I've, I think I've even shown you some mm -hmm. of the chord progressions that I've had, and it's literally been drawn from another song. And I said, mm -hmm. you know, I like this chord progression. It works for the feeling I'm trying to go for. Yeah. Is that, and you're, and you're like, nope. <laughs> You can't steal it, or you can't copyright it. You can't it. copyright it. <laughs> you, you stole it, but you can't copyright that, so you're in the clear. Yeah. And uh, whether I finish the song or not is kind of a side to point <laughs> right now, but uh, definitely something that you said to me before. And it does make you think, though, like look at pop music. How many of those songs use the exact same chord progression? I mean, there's parodies on YouTube that put all those songs together yeah. using the same chord progression. And it's just incredible to hear all of these different songs and you realize oh my goodness they all use the same cadence and it's yeah. just that that blows my mind yeah. that, that something like that could be that it, it, and it and it hides in plain sight right in front of it you really does. it doesn't it doesn't present itself it just kind of underlies and then you change the instrumentation a little bit or the, maybe the tempo but and the words and the melody are different, but the underlying thing that's there is the chord progression. And you just don't realize that it's the same for like yeah. every song. And I think if you're not realizing the same, it's the same. Like, I don't think there's a problem there mm -hmm. because they have made it their own. I think because it's the same chord progression, it draws the same emotion and feel. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the world has had an emotional experience or a similar emotional experience to that. So that's why it works, um, because people understand the emotion just from four chords. Yeah. And then you put the words and harmonies on top of that, and you get even more. And then and that's where you get different feels, is when you put mm. those different lenses yeah. on the chord progression. Interesting. So it seems as if we have two different kinds of artistic integrity. We started out kind of talking about whether an artist is doing something for their sake or for the sake of the people who are going to be consuming their art, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So that is maybe a question of motivation, whereas now we're kind of talking about the content. Yeah. And I wonder if both of those play a part in, in being able to make judgments about people's integrity, about creators' integrity. Yeah. So did they create something for themselves and it just happened to be some, like mm -hmm. something else? Like, was that song that it sounds like just in their subconscious and it came out? Yeah. Was that picture something they enjoyed and they wanted to make mm -hmm. something like that? And it's very hard to get into the mind of someone like like Terry Redland. 
Yep. Right. Because he found his his niche. Yeah. And there's other painters, even in the United States, who've had a very unique style, and they've just were known for making illustrations yeah. like that. And I can't think of their names off the top of my head. I'll probably find them. But I think I keep thinking of Picasso. Like Picasso went through the blue period. Mm-hmm. So like he went through an entire time where his paintings just looked blue <laughs> and then they don't look identical to anything else he made so I'm pretty sure like he was making that just for himself and he's learned about in history now as this was yeah. this period of him and so I believe he was doing it all for himself but I forget where I was going with this Picasso cool dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah and in the case of music I think you could uh, maybe make a similar comparison like there's someone like like we'll use Skrillex again did something crazy weird people liked it and he mm-hmm. seems like a pretty chill down to earth guy about it he's yeah. not trying to hide the fact of where he's drawing inspiration he's just going around the world experiencing a ton of different things and making yeah. songs that kind of go out on that and then mixing it up a little bit changing it and bringing a new feel to a medium that has had some stagnation in the last couple of years. Yeah. Granted, the music world, especially the electronic one, changes so fast. Yes. The shelf life on songs is maybe a few months. Like, how many people are singing Hotline Bling right now? And that came out, what, less than a year ago? Wow, that's a really good point. Yeah. It's just, whereas some paintings are just timeless, yeah. right? Some music is timeless. Like you get like Bach, Beethoven, like that stuff is not going to go away. <laughs> it's not <laughs> going to just disappear. Uh, but I just, I, I wonder why that is sometimes. Why does present day content have such a short shelf life compared to the content that was from years before? And maybe it's just because we're here right now, and this is what we see. Yeah. And maybe there will come to the top, uh, rise to the top, uh, certain artists or pieces of art that that prove that they are timeless, mm-hmm. and that will literally take time to tell. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, you have to look back at it to understand. Mm-hmm. I do uh, blame slash acclaim media for all that. Mm-hmm. Like we just live in a fast-paced world where things get shared immediately. Yeah. And then the new stuff, like an artist makes that, a million people can watch it within a day. Mm-hmm. Whereas that couldn't happen 50 years ago. Yeah. Unless, like, radio, but songs didn't go to radio that fast. Yeah. So, it's... What are you looking up here? I'm looking up the artists that I was talking about before, and maybe a, some of them Jackson Pollock, mm-hmm. definitely known for his, like, drip painting. Yeah. And that's what he did. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, that was his style. That was his style. That's the kind of art he did. And it's not even like you could see something there. Mm-hmm. It was almost void of inspiration. So not okay. not to say that. It's, it's void of drawing on other people's stuff and in implementing it in what he did. Yeah. But maybe the way he did something was inspired. Or I, it, and again, hard to get into their mind and say like, what was really like motivating you? Yeah. And that was kind of, that's an interesting case because you can take his art and 
ask that question about it itself. Like if he was trying to paint a particular thing, his art would not have been what it was. Mm-hmm. He was he was trying to paint nothing, <laughs> which is almost yeah. ironic. They kind of addressed that question in uh, Ex Machina, uh-huh. the film we were talking yeah. about for special effects the other day. Um, another artist with a very distinct style, uh, Norman Rockwell. He made uh, paintings for magazines, drawings, and a lot of them look very, very similar in style. And of course, he was what he was drawing kind of gave his his art um, more prominence, more popularity. He was drawing about present day issues, something like the Four Freedoms or mm-hmm. baseball, just parts of culture that that really stood out to him, and that's what gave his his art meaning and purpose. Yeah. But the way he did it was that was just his niche. That was his style. That's what his stuff looks like. Like you can look at a painting and say, "Oh, that's a Norman Rockwell." You can look at a painting and say, "Oh, that's definitely Jackson Pollock, yeah. not Norman Rockwell." Yeah. And you can almost say the same about songs too. Like mm-hmm. if you listen to a song made by Skrillex, you're probably going to be able to tell whether it was made by him or. Bach. Those were the two I was thinking. Sometimes they get really close to each other, but no, they're very, they're very different. They're very distinctive. And that's maybe part of being an artist is getting that distinctive line. So, uh, style and the application of that to integrity. Mm -hmm. So now we've introduced another element is maybe not your content, but your niche, your, your way of doing things, your process. Yeah, those are all different things, though. Like, niche is the people that it applies to, I think. Mm -hmm. The process, how you're doing it, style, and it's like, everything you do, you can tell it's you. Mm -hmm. So, like, I have a certain way of making a song. I have a certain Mm -hmm. workflow that I go through. A process that I use when I'm making a song on the computer. Yeah. And that to some extent changes the way my song sounds like compared to another artist's stuff yeah exactly and then like there's photographers who i look at and like uh this nicholas bauer brewer i forget his last name exactly he takes these star pictures that are they lack a lot of contrast yet they have a lot of contrast and that's so hard to explain over sound (laughs) you just have to see it but like there's tons of uh, detail in the shadows where there's other astrophotographers who love contrast and crush the shadows and things like that so it's like I can almost tell styles of just that specific niche of photographers Mm -hmm. where like weddings you get the people who use film look and those who use blown out highlights to create a dreamy look and stuff Mm -hmm. like that style I think having your own style is best way to be true to yourself and if that came from an influence of others I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as it's not one particular person's style that you're in yes yes otherwise that's completely stealing so I guess maybe we can use all of those things to determine whether someone has been uh, shirking their integrity so to speak mm-hmm. but the the motivation is definitely important Yes. And that's maybe the hardest to make judgments about because 
especially if the artist is no longer living, there's really no way you can find out except for maybe like something they said, but most artists won't say like, oh, I was definitely just doing this for the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like very, a few artists I know have done that and it's, yeah. you know what, they're not, they're not the ones rising to the top and, no. and making new interesting things. They're doing what's safe, doing what will get them another dollar. Yeah. Um, the content is another thing that you can use and if it gets to the point where you can see how they are being influenced by others in a very apparent way like extreme case temp music Mm -hmm. this sounds exactly like that song with just (laughs) different instruments that's definitely the content has been stolen and maybe changed in a little bit of a way Mm -hmm. maybe even like the song that I made that got popular for a month Mm -hmm. like that was something that wasn't me there that was yeah. just something that I I took two different things and put them together which is uh, not nearly quite enough to make that uh, content my own so to speak yeah. it's definitely still j- just those two people who were involved in that creative process yeah and then style niche workflow those are other things that might apply I think they do Style is huge, I believe. Yeah. Because I don't like style makes you you. Um, when people can tell, oh, Johnny Wilde made this song, mm-hmm. or oh, Bach wrote this song. I'm really happy when people are able to differentiate between those two. <laughs> I get accused of making stuff that sounds like Bach all the time. <laughs> yeah. But mm, it is not. A clear-cut line I would say it's a zone yeah like there's a zone in the middle where you want to be where or, no I don't know I don't have a model for it in my head yet yeah it's definitely a, a gray area <laughs> you don't yep. know where is 100% where is zero and yeah. you can't you can't put yourself on there because there's just too much involved and maybe that means you're in a good spot because you're drawing from that many more people yeah I do think it's interesting when people start to question integrity, like what's going on. So yeah. someone says, I'm just doing this for the money. You might question their artistic integrity <laughs> yes. right away. Yes. Uh, but when you can't deduce that from things they've said and instead use what they've made, if you can make direct comparisons to other people's work, mm-hmm. you might start to question. If you see that they only do one kind of thing and that it's popular and people like it, and they don't branch out, then maybe you start to question their integrity. Mm-hmm. That's maybe a more difficult one to to because show because the content isn't. It's it's clearly their own. It's their own style. It's their own creation, but their motivation might be coming to question. So maybe that's a less of an integrity and then more self progression. Yeah. Like, are you actually trying to get better, or are you just mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm done. I'm not going anywhere else. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's still an incredibly, it's a small zone (laughs) to understand. So I think, uh, maybe we should start to wrap it up. Yeah. What, uh, what do you, what is your takeaway from this? Our disagreement we had right before the cut. Um, right before the halfway point. Yeah. The, does our disintegrity apply only if the content is 100% yours? And how do you determine what your content is? 
Yeah. And how much does drawing from others count towards your own experiences versus something that's uh, originating from you, your mind, your ideas? Yeah. Hmm. Because I I believe that learning from other people, your personal experiences, that just makes you, you. And then all those experiences added up. Anything you create, that's your own. Yeah. And you've just learned from other people. Because they've learned from other people. Yeah. So it's this shared collective of content creation ideas. I think I'd agree with you on that one. That's something I wasn't very clear on beforehand either, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the point of talking about it, is you're able to flesh those ideas out, yeah. and that definitely helped me throughout this whole thing. I started out only thinking about the motivation that artists had, mm-hmm. and then we found that <laughs> just by talking about it, that content, style, workflow, um, just all, all sorts of things that you can use to describe or analyze artistic integrity in a variety of different mediums yeah um i think what i took away from this was uh maybe something that just came to me a minute ago was that this is very different for other artists compared to people who don't do creative work yes I, i thought about a speech okay made by um think Teddy Roosevelt Uh, Theodore Roosevelt is called the man in the arena and his uh, I'll just read it for you here it is not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly who errs who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So, wow. That's what came to me at the end is that artists are the person in the arena. The people actually doing it. They're actually doing the deeds. They're actually failing. They're actually shortcoming. They're actually achieving. They're triumphing. They're doing Mm -hmm. all of these things. They're on that spectrum. And it's so easy for us to look at them and be critical of them. But that's not what counts. It's actually the people doing that work that make a difference. So that's kind of what came to me at the end. Maybe my big takeaway is try to be less critical and maybe not worry about it so much. Not to say that yeah. I was super worried about it in the first place, but yeah. uh, maybe puts a new perspective on, you know, what should a creative person do mm-hmm. and then how much of that is influenced by what others are doing or what others are being critical of. So yeah. no, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, I definitely learned a lot. Just Same. by talking this through, Learned I'm glad we, we kind of deviated from our, our planned course. Yeah, this um, might explain past episodes more. Yeah, hopefully if, if there is any questions about this, uh, this topic that we maybe glanced over a little bit, this helped clear it up for yourselves and for us as well. So yeah. Next week, talking about 
Should we go back to experiences? I think we should go back to experiences yeah. and then maybe something like taste or yeah. maybe we'll have a guest. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but uh, for the time being, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Mm-hmm. This has been the 226. Peace.